Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by certified professional midwife, Emily Stevenson. Emily offers inclusive care for all families and individuals, including fertility, conception, prenatal, home birth, postpartum, lactation, and doula services. She graduated from Birthing Way College of Midwifery in Portland, Oregon, and became a certified professional midwife, CPM, in October 2017. She attended over 120 birth center and home births as an apprentice in Oregon. She recently worked with Haitian midwives at the Mama Bay Haiti birth center. Prior to becoming a midwife, Emily spent several years as a doula and trained in emergency medical services. She offers her services not just as a certified professional midwife, but as a queer certified professional midwife. The pros and cons of midwives versus doctors pose a serious question for mothers-to-be, especially if it's their first birth. Giving birth can either be a wonderful experience or a traumatic one. Pregnant persons have a right to be treated with respect and dignity during labor and childbirth. This is especially important to LGBTQ families that also exist outside cisgender and heteronormative worldviews. LGBTQ families may have a hard time within the healthcare system because of seemingly simple things like the language we use when taking a history, lack of social support, and discrimination from providers and other healthcare staff. Midwives often meet people at their most vulnerable. A young woman may be coming in for her first annual exam. A pregnant person is coming in for prenatal care. They come from different walks of life, and midwives try and strive to give compassionate care to everyone. Emily, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Well, I'm I'm really glad to have you on here. I think it's a uh, you know you hear all kinds of things like what's the best way, and you know we all want to start our babies out on the best possible way going forward. How Absolutely. Did you, yeah. How did you choose? How did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Um, I had attended a few births of friends and family members, so I had, you know, kind of gotten the bug and been really interested in birth um, and pregnancy, and I decided to become a doula, and in my years as a doula, I worked um, pretty much exclusively in hospitals in Oregon, and I had a lot of great experiences, but I also had a lot of difficult experiences, and um, I was interested in becoming a provider and looking into the different ways to do that, being a nurse midwife, an OB, a CPM, um, and decided that I wanted to be able to provide out-of-hospital care. And part of that is because I think home birth has so many benefits, and also I wanted to work internationally, and I think having the skill set to work outside of a, um, a more industrialized medical setting was really important for me. You know, it's funny, you know, because I know, I mean, for the longest, I mean, I can recall working with a woman who, like, all of her children were born by C-section. I mean, she had it planned Mm -hmm. down to, like, what day she was going to go in, when she'd be back at work, you know, it was like, you know, just sort of. Mm-hmm. getting this over like it was like just a strange position and you or you hear other people who it's like, like 
you know what, you know, I'll just wait out here. I'll call you when it's over. I even had friends who were going to do a home birth, and they were like, oh, well, people should come and be there. Many of us were like, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know about that. So, I mean, but at the same time, you know, to take away from that being so clinical, you know, to go in, that means where some people don't even experience, feel it, they are drugged up, and, you know, that whole moment of it, they miss that. Uh, so what's the difference between a doula and a midwife? Yeah, so a doula, which I was for many years, is someone who supports families or the birthing person um, through labor and birth and sometimes in the postpartum period too. But they support them from an emotional point um, you know, mentally, emotionally, maybe spiritually, they're there to support that person. So they may offer things like um, helping you cope with pain during your labor and achieving a natural, you know, quote-unquote unmedicated birth. Um, They might help you with lactation support, things like that. But the difference is a doula doesn't provide any medical support to you. So things like um, prenatal visits where your blood pressure is checked and the baby is measured and things like that, Um, things in labor and birth, you know, medications that you might give or checking dilation or resolving things like if baby is stuck or needs help breathing. Those are the kinds of things that midwives are trained to do and doulas do not do any of those things. Mm Yeah. That, that's interesting, you know, that, that emotional support, because there is that, that emotional support where, you know, you do need that and how to, to, I think that many people, you think about the pain because they tell you, oh, it's like the worst pain. And <laughs> like, sort of like, like, I mean, I'm sure, what better way to help me relax and go through this than you tell me, oh, it's just the worst pain. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we have a really unique sort of, perspective here in the States, especially where we have a history of birth, um, you know, coming from when my, when my, you know, grandmother gave birth during the twilight sleep where they had you knocked out. And now, you know, up through the 80s when C-section rates became extremely high. And we just have had a really interesting legacy of how to deal with that pain or those feelings in childbirth. And I think now I see families and birthing people kind of moving away from that and wanting other ways to deal with it besides, you know, get rid of it as much as possible, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, this certification, you know, I mean, and I think that that's it's important, you know, many people, when you say midwife, they're thinking of, you know, you go find a woman down the street who's had like <laughs> 15 kids and she comes in for some reason boils the water. I'm still trying to figure out what that's about. And then, you know, and, you know, and somehow or other it all happens. But what happens when you become a certified public midwife? Yeah, so there are a lot of different avenues to become a midwife. Um, we actually even have nurse midwives. So most hospitals, people don't know this, but most hospitals do have nurse midwives, and they are people that go to school as a nurse and then um, get a graduate degree in midwifery. So the difference between that and then what I do, a CPM, there's also a couple routes. I went to a school, um, an accredited midwifery college, and I spent four years there, graduated from that program, and then there's an organization called NARM, the North American Registry of Midwives, and they provide you know, board exams. So I took exams. I gave them all my paperwork for the births that I had completed as a student um, under supervision, and that's how I got my certification. Um, There also is a process called the PEP process, but it's um, sort of a more apprenticeship-based model for people that don't go to a college or a university, and they spend a much greater length of time and take many more exams, and they do it um, a different way. So I think that's part of choosing a midwife is talking to them about their experience and their training and whatever schooling and, you know, being knowledgeable about where they're coming from. Now, I know Michigan became like, I think it was the 31st state to have a license for the CPM credential. 
Yeah, what, so the CPM what, what is actually a, yeah, so the CPM is a national credential. So many mm -hmm. midwives in Michigan have had that credential for a very long time. Um, but states also license you as well. So in Oregon, for example, you're a CPM, that's your national license, and you also take a state licensing exam. So in Michigan, we didn't have any state regulation, and we also didn't have any laws or regulations requiring people to have that national exam. So there are midwives in Michigan that have practiced for a long time that are not certified in any way, and there are some that have been certified nationally for a very long time, but do not have a specific state um, licensure. So right now we're really excited because they're in the, they've passed a law that licensure is going to be available in Michigan. And over the course of this year, 2018, they're finishing the specific regulations of how they're going to do that here. So it's really exciting for us midwives. So now, um, does that mean, because I know one thing that I'm sure that many women think like, does it make a difference like to like your healthcare provider or whatever, if it you have someone who's a licensed CPM as opposed to yeah. someone who isn't? So mm -hmm. I think there's arguments both ways. You know, there are a lot of really amazing midwives that I have met and worked with um, all over the country that have not been certified. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with access to certification. You know, we know a lot of marginalized groups don't have the ability to move across the country and go to a school and things like this, but they are well-trained over the years in other ways. Um, I think from a lot of perspective, though, the certification is really important. It's really easy for consumers, for families to understand people's training when they have those licenses, right? And I think also, you know, in Michigan, it's hard because we really want to get midwifery covered under insurance. We really want to be able to take, um, you know, Medicaid and things like that, and these licenses are one step closer to being able to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a friend who, um, she has five children, and Danielle, mm -hmm. she had the first one in the hospital, the second one was the birthing center, but the last three she had at home. And she said how nice it, it was, like she had a, her mother came up, her father was there. I was talking to a, in fact, Saturday, I was talking to a woman, I was telling her I was going to talk to you, and she said, wow, it'd just be too chaotic. You know, how could, you know, a midwife concentrate on what she's doing if you've got the family there and all of this stuff is going on? Do you ever find that you have to use both of your skills, your past work as a doula, and then your work as a midwife to like, so like get the family together and then put your attention <laughs> on, the, on the mother? Yeah, I, I think that is part of what I enjoy about midwifery too, is it's not just a medical or clinical skill. Um, it's about, you know, having skills to work in a community and to work with families. And, you know, it requires a lot of interpersonal and communication, you know, relationships. But I think, again, it's part of our culture here in the States that we've come to this place where you go to a certain place, you go in a room, you have a child with a provider, and that's what birth is. And, you know, having worked in other countries and things, I think it's really great to have a, a culture where families are involved in birth, mm -hmm. and they're not mm -hmm. seen as a nuisance or as a distraction. They're seen mm -hmm. as an asset. You know, because they are an asset to that birthing person in the rest of their life. And if mm -hmm. they want them there, then we should accommodate that, you know? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you were there for that first delivery, what were your <laughs> emotions when you, when you delivered your first child, when you were there for that? Uh, I think a lot of awe. I think, um, you know, anyone who's kind of seen a childbirth in person, it's truly amazing and I still feel this every time it's so mm. amazing that we come out of other humans that we <laughs> grow these humans and I it's uh -huh. so funny because you can see hundreds of babies born but you see that person as pregnant and then one minute later there's this new human on this planet and it's you know it's amazing it's it's amazing uh -huh. it's a lot of awe and a lot of respect because people who give birth you get to see them 
at their best moment, I think. You know, it's a hard mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. but it's them mm-hmm. doing this incredible thing. And you got mm-hmm. to see that. And not a lot of people got to see them be that amazing person, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I know that there are some uh, OBGYNs who have, like, walls of fame of all their babies. Do you keep track <laughs> of, do you have pictures of, of your different babies? Or do you, do you sometimes think of them, you know, and, and when you see this little toddler later on, think <laughs> yeah. of back to that day? Yeah, I do. I think it's really fun. I love um, you know, I have a lot of families that have sent me photos or, you know, in the age of social media, they'll come on to our practice page and post pictures of second birthdays or whatever it is. And it's amazing. You know, it's it's really cool. And it's really fun, too, to see repeat families who come back for their next birth and you get to see them do it all over again. And it's it's really neat. When someone comes to you and they say, you, you know, and they first, you know, say, I, I'm thinking I want to do, do this at home, I want to have you, what do you in some way counsel them or what should they be thinking on? And when, is there ever a time when you say, you know, you might want to think about, you know, having a more traditional birth, work with an OBGYN, or do you work in concert with the OBGYN, like so say if someone has an issue of high blood pressure or something mm-hmm. or some other medical condition to where you're working in tandem with their OBGM. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have a pretty strict list of things that if this is going on with you, then you need to give birth in the hospital. You know, I think that's a big skill of midwives is risk assessment and I really appreciate hospitals and OBGYNs. We're so lucky that we have a lot of great ones in Michigan that um, can give people great births when they aren't able to give them out of the hospital. And there are lots of, like, you know, borderline things where we're not sure if you're going to give birth in the hospital or out, and we totally work in tandem um, with other providers. I think also I've seen several people over the years who – Um, know that they're going to give birth in the hospital for whatever reason, typically a medical reason, but they want also the prenatal care of a midwife because of what we offer um, in emotional and lifestyle support and longer appointments and things like that. So they kind of do both. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, and I've seen like, all kinds of different types of childbirth. I mean, in natural childbirth, everything from ones who want to do it, they do it like in a tub, you know, like in mm-hmm. the water and do like that. Is that something like, do you give them like, well, these are your options and this is it? Or, you know, do you sort of like plan it by, you know, like if they are like really want to do that, that birth in a tub and you say, okay, well, we can work with that. I mean, or do you sort of like talk through what's the best for them and for the child? Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of things that we offer, like water births, for example. I think a lot of more people are desiring that now as it's becoming more well-known, and we totally offer it and support that. And uh, I have found that in the moment when someone is going to push a baby out, wherever they're going to be is where they're going to be. You you can't really tell someone what to do in that moment um, as far as a preference. You know, if I have a... We, we really let people be in the position that they want to be in in labor, if they're at home in the room that they want to be in when they're in labor, and they might happen to be on their bed when they start pushing. And if it's someone that's mm-hmm. told me they really, really desire a water birth, I might say, hey, do you want to get in the tub? <laughs> you know, I'll prompt mm-hmm. them. But it's really up to them and what they want. Um, there's certain you know, unexpected things that could happen that I might say, let's get out of the tub or things like that. And, you know, you manage it as it comes along. But without any other circumstances, we kind of just let people do what they want to do. And we do talk about it ahead of time, uh, you know, what options there are, but the options are a little a little bit endless. You know, it's whatever they feel comfortable with. Now, you know, and lots of when we're talking about, we're really talking about the, the parent, I mean, the mother, Mm -hmm. the person Mm -hmm. having the birth. But, you know, you also have a responsibility to the baby. And, you know, one of the things that Danielle and I talked about, because she said that she felt, knowing the the numbers about infant mortality, she really Mm -hmm. felt 
that with her midwives that she was increasing her baby's odds. Yeah. When do you, yeah. you, you know, when, you know, you know, you have that moment where you're taking care of the mother, but you're also taking care of that baby that's inside of her. How do you, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I think you're always doing both. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of the tricky thing about working in maternal fetal health care, no matter who you are, if you're an OBGYN, a midwife, whoever, it's always about both. It's always about mm-hmm. a good outcome for both of these people. And there's a struggle sometimes between you know, that balancing act, and we really try to balance it so you both are having good outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of things about midwifery care statistically do help people. You know, one thing is very attentive prenatal care um, and really giving people the best odds to grow a healthy baby, catching things early, monitoring things well, getting help when you need help. Um, I think we also do a really good job of postpartum care. Checking, We check in on people much more often um, than a standard practice would. So, yeah, I think in a lot of ways it can boost those odds um, while also having someone that has a good transport plan and understands when they need more help and is willing to get other team members involved when they need to. Okay, well, we're going to take a, a, a brief um, break right here. But um, I also want to talk about how inclusive to families who are. So we will be mm-hmm. right back. Um, we are listening. You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. My guest today is Emily Stevenson. She is a certified professional midwife. And we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back with Emily Stevenson. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed is that, you know, you talk about being inclusive and doing, being with queer families. And I have friends. I mean, and you would think that people say, oh, you have marriage equality and you have all of this. <laughs> I have friends, lesbian couples who have said that, you know, the doctor might have been good, but there was somebody maybe at the hospital who's made the comment like, well, who's the dad? I have Mm -hmm. um, friends who are from the transgender community, um, sometimes who have trans men who have opted to have their own biological child and that whole dynamic. And often when you find some of these people, they feel, when I talk to some of them, that option of going to a midwife to have a home birth, it just feels better what made you, were you seeing this and is that why, you know, you really focus and when you're talking about the work you do about being inclusive of all families? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the struggles that queer families have um, in medical settings are the same struggles they have everywhere, um, but it can be amplified because you're so vulnerable during that time. And, you know, sometimes things can be as simple as I think a lot of queer trans parents feel like they need to explain themselves constantly, whether it's explaining Mm -hmm. their gender, explaining their partner, explaining their family dynamic, explaining the way that they want to navigate their child's gender, um, pronouns, all those kinds of things. 
can be really hard to have to explain yourself over and over. And I think part of the benefit of a midwifery team is it's a small team that knows you, that knows your family, that understands you, and you don't have to explain yourself. You know, you don't have to, um, you know, legitimize your family because we take your family seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, we're not perfect, but we want to have those conversations about where you feel like you have been marginalized or you need a little bit more attention. Um, Yeah, and I think also, you know, we see statistically that um, trans people giving birth choose home birth and choose midwives more than the average person, and I think that's part of why. Uh, I think a lot of people, too, particularly queer and trans people, have had a lot of trauma in medical settings. Um, Perhaps they've tried to get care before and haven't gotten adequate care or haven't been taken seriously um, or just have had bad experiences and things like gyne exams and things like that. And a lot of midwives try to focus on trauma-informed care So learning how to navigate these really sensitive areas of medical care in a way that is sensitive to you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I know, I mean, even had, well, one couple who were African-American and they were trying to get insemination and, and, you know, they said to find the place to go who would understand Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then to explain it to other people and to understand their family, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is just like, I can imagine, I mean, when you go for prenatal care and you've got to go each and every month and hopefully you'll get the same people, but to have someone else and have to go again and explain, no, we're both the parents, I'm the mother, mm-hmm. this and that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, after a while, you know, it's just a like, you know. You don't yeah. want to make someone feel they have to go back into the closet at this special time. Yeah, and I feel like that's what a lot of people do. They want to have a good experience. They want to focus on their child. So they put those things aside so that they can get through this experience without, you know, being quote-unquote difficult or being looked at as abnormal or different or alternative, you know. And Queer and trans people have to do that every day at airports and at grocery stores and everywhere else, and we don't want them to feel like they have to put themselves aside when they're having a child. You know, it's such an important time. We want them to be engaged and authentic and, you know, really feel welcome in those environments. And, of course, when you add things like race and other things, you know, that just multiplies how much more difficult it can be for families. Do you find in your community of professional midwives, do you have, are there discussions about this? Do you find yourself, or do you find yourself bringing that aspect into the discussion to where, um, you know, perhaps uh, helping raise the level of sensitivity? Yeah, I am seeing that a lot. And, you know, it can be hard. I think, um, just like if you look at anything rooted in feminism, there is this big movement for women and women power and all of these things um, that seemed really great a while back and now we're realizing really aren't inclusive of all people and all families and all people that give birth. So I see um, an increasing amount of dialogue in how to include trans and queer families in our care. Um, Recently, so there's uh, MANA, which is the Midwives Alliance of North America, and those are all the midwives in the U.S. and, um, you know, Canada and North America, and they have a big conference every year, and this year at the conference, they had uh, a lot of queer and trans-oriented seminars and meetups, and I was so encouraged by that because we're seeing it talked about more and more, and like anyone else, we have a long way to go but I, I do see a lot of CPMs really striving to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I know that also when the, there are places now that uh, when the birth certificate comes, it allows you to put like that they're both parents, that they're, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to go mother, father, or <laughs> like that. And I also know that there's a movement where some people are saying that, you know, they don't want to immediately label their child by 
gender, are you obligated by law to to do any of this stuff, like, you know, indicate, you know, mother, leave the father blank, or can you change it to parent, um, and, and can you do this? Yeah, you can do this. Um, I have done several surrogate births also with queer families and have seen them advocate to be able to both be on the birth certificate um, instead of the bio person who gave birth. And uh, there are definitely ways you can do it. You know, I think every state is different, but I think, you know, talk to your care provider. You know, if that's your midwife, get them on your team to be able to get that documentation right for you and your child because that is an important thing that people should be able to do. Um, I think, you know, one of the most interesting things about being a queer midwife is that you do a newborn exam and you're supposed to check a box of what that baby's sex is, you know, and I mm-hmm. see it being, um, you know, on birth certificates and on other like government paperwork, um, having a third option, whether it's unclear or something like that. Um, I think we still have more work to do on the paperwork side, but I think being able to talk to your provider about that and saying it's important to me to not, you know, have that information or to be able to, you know, say, put that their genitals are healthy and what those appear mm. to be without assigning someone a specific, you know, quote-unquote gender. And, you know, you brought up another point that's really important because, like you said, sometimes it's like through a surrogate. So mm-hmm. if, if a queer couple is thinking about having a child and the ideal is to go through a surrogate, I mean – even when they're thinking about conception, because I know that's one of the things that you do, um, is that a good time also? Can they bring you in and talk to you then about like, you know, all right, we want to have a baby. We're going to use a surrogate. We want to do this. And what what do we need to do? How do we make this like, like you said, that kind of experience with the surrogate, with our family, and bringing you in to where we can have this beautiful experience? Do they talk to you then yeah. as far as that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely they can. You know, I think I, I do do fertility consults and talk about um, different natural things and lifestyle things you can do to increase your fertility, um, telling people how to track their cycles and know when the optimal time is to do things. I think, um, you know, for me and I know other midwives who do this, they provide insemination services. So they help you make that happen with your surrogate um, and can do that in your home or in a birth center office as well. So again, avoiding, you know, having to go be in these other places, but being able to do that at home. And for a lot of healthy, fertile people, that works great. Um, Mm. Yeah, and I think also it's a good time, you know, you're thinking about starting a family, you're wanting to become pregnant or have a surrogate, that's a great time to talk to a midwife about what you can do to be healthy and to plan on a good birth. You know, it's never too early to start planning these things. I think that's a wonderful point, too, because most people, it's a, they still think like you come in at the end game, you know. You come in at the end game with your catcher's mitt ready to, you know. Right. But, but how right. important it is, because really the health of your child does often begin before conception. And Absolutely. so to, to, to have that and to like think long-term about that, I mean, how, how important mm-hmm. that is. So briefly, can you, you know, when you did this, the Mama Baby Haiti Birth Center, we hear so much about Haiti. I mean, and what a strong and resilient people they are. What was it yeah. like going to Haiti and to to help people who have been hit by so many catastrophes and, and hard knocks, but who are still so resilient? What was it like there in Haiti? It, you know, it was amazing. I think everybody says this, but I learned more from them than Lane learned from me, of course. Um, Mama Baby mm-hmm. Haiti is a really unique place. It was started by some midwives here in the States that I used to work with that went over to provide emergency care during the earthquake eight years ago, mm-hmm. saw the need and decided to start a birth center. And the women that work there are Haitian midwives who have been trained and they've gone to school and it's amazing to see Haitian 
people providing care to Haitian people because that's the optimal thing that we want, right? We don't need a bunch of Americans. Like, it's really important for them to be providing care. Um, and what was amazing to me is that the people giving birth there, um, almost all of them had these wonderful, natural labors and healthy births. And we mm. hear so much about um, the statistics there and how difficult it is. And it was amazing to me that with some good prenatal care, simple things, you know, checking blood pressure, giving prenatal vitamins, the real basic stuff, having some medication for hemorrhage after the birth, the mm. basic, basic things, even people who are in really difficult circumstances have really wonderful births and really wonderful outcomes um, and, and wonderful attitudes. And, you know, I think something that we forget when, when a country or a place has a lot of death or a lot of catastrophe or really high infant mortality rates is that this is still a parent and a baby and every baby is just as important to that parent. And, you know, you really get to see that when you're there. It's just like every baby and every parent here. You know, it's really special and it's important, you know, that's important for each kid. Mm-hmm. You know, often, you know, and we talk like about Haiti and we talk about poor countries, but often in some urban areas, I mean, and there are some people here who have little or no health care and their nutrition isn't isn't that good. Did you see, what things did you learn from Haiti that you could say to people in these areas? You know, because I mean, hey, health care is still expensive. Mm-hmm. Everybody still doesn't have it. There's no guarantee that people are going to run and go see their doctors. So what if we had talking about building a beloved community and we looked in these urban areas and these rural areas where people might not have access to healthcare yeah. traditional what what did you learn from Haiti that we could take in there and sort of say you know this we can yeah. still have healthy babies yeah i think that um and you know i'm i live in detroit and i work here and we definitely see that here um, and I think it's about basics and that, and that childbirth and prenatal care starts with basic things. And I think that I would encourage people that basic things, you can access them. I think it's so, it's such a huge thing to think about. I have to go find a doctor and I have to go to all these appointments and I have to make it to these things. It's, it's really hard and it's really challenging for a lot of families. But if you can make it to some prenatal appointments to get your blood pressure checked and get some prenatal vitamins, the basics are going to carry you through, you know. And I think also a lot of what we struggle with here in the States that I don't see as much in other countries, even though they have so many fewer resources, we don't have a lot of emotional and community support here Mm. in the States for moms. Mm. We don't Mm. have you know, being able to take off work for maternity leave. We don't, a lot of people don't get that here. Um, We don't have a lot of grandmas and moms that are um, older than us that have experience with breastfeeding and things like that. Um, And I think that some of the things that I see that work really well here that reminds me of Haiti, like in Detroit, we have a peer program. So parents with each other. And I would encourage parents, even really low-income parents, to seek out a group where they can be with other parents and get some peer support, you know, and I think that is really helpful for healthy outcomes. You know, my friend, when I was telling you about Danielle, I mean, her experiences as a mother, you know, especially after she had her second child and as she was going to help her found an organization called Mothering Justice. And one of the things that... Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that's what she's talking about, you might not know, and there's a simple thing like, you know, lactation. You know, many people think that, well, you know, it's going to be, it's perfect. You know, you're going to have the baby, they give it to you, you put it on your breast, and it's golden. But it's not always that way. And I like how you said, like, having a community to, to share with other mothers, but also the fact that, that's one of the things that you talk about because 
it can be very frustrating when you know you're thinking this is supposed to happen and it doesn't. Do you talk about exactly. that before, during, and after? We talk about it so much, and I think that's part of just saying having a baby is hard. It's mm-hmm. hard, but it's good, but it's hard. It's it's difficult, but you're up to it. You know, mm. it's it's a it's gonna be so difficult, but I'm looking at you as a person in front of me, and I can see that you have it inside you to do this. You know, and whether that's doing a natural labor or lactation, you know, I think it's not easy, but you we're gonna get you the support to to do it. You know, especially with lactation, like you were saying, I think people have this idea that it's gonna work and then it doesn't work, and so it's not gonna work. <laughs> And in in reality, it's a relationship that's really long that goes through ups and downs, and especially those first couple weeks are really difficult, and you need a lot of support and a lot of problem solving. And we talk, we kind of set people up for the fact that we want to support them after, you know, by doing a lot more postpartum visits, by having lactation consulting as a normal thing. Like we want everybody to meet with a lactation consultant, you know, not to say that you're going to have problems, but to say that it's normal to need help, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it, too, is just, you know, especially here in America, we have a very individualistic mentality. And, you know, people who have babies have to do it all. And it's mm-hmm. not okay to ask for help, and it's not okay <laughs> to say that it's hard, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we all know it's hard, and we all know it's, you need help. So we make it normal. What do you need this week? What's going on for you? How can we get you more resources, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, you work with a group um, when doing how – did you, how did you find – the practice to be a part of, to work with, and what does your service, your the bigger service, offer to people, women? Yeah. So I, when I first moved to Michigan last year, I uh, had a home birth practice with another midwife, and it was going great, and she is having another child now, so I was looking for another partner, <laughs> and I, yeah, <laughs> so it goes mm-hmm. with midwives, but, um, and I found this birth center that had opened this last year, really liked the midwife who owned it, and I was really excited to be back at a birth center, because that's where I was originally trained, um, and so at the birth center I'm at, nine short months, which is in the Detroit area, we offer home births and we offer birth center births. A lot of people have a preference or have reasons they do want one and don't want the other, so we offer both. And we also have a lot of other care providers that work in our building that help us out. So we have massage therapists and acupuncture, lactation consultants, um, childbirth educators that teach classes, things like that. And So again, we're just trying to set up that team mentality of here's all the resources that you have and we present it to you right away and we kind of, you know, guide you through ways that you can use all those resources to make your pregnancy and your birth better. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, part of that focus too is, especially with pregnancy, things my back hurts or I'm not sleeping well or I'm having these different things. And we kind of, they're, they're minor things, you know, that we don't want to complain about. But those are the things that really make up our day-to-day pregnancy and they affect how we're able to work and how we're able to care for our other kids. And we want to attend to all of those things, not just the big stuff. Mm-hmm. So you said you've been in Detroit, this area, about a year. What brought you here? Uh, my partner is born and raised in Detroit, so we came uh-huh. here to be with family. I'm originally from the L.A. area, so we were just uh-huh. deciding where to be. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? You know, we'll bring you here. You know, or you'll go and you'll go like, you know, oh, snow, that. But, you know, I was talking to a woman yesterday. She said, well, I have plans of this, but, you know, then I met her. And it was, and it was over. And it just happens. Yeah, and Detroit is also, you know, a big factor, too, is Detroit is a really exciting place to be a midwife right now. You know, this legislation going through, I'm seeing just a huge boom in people in the Midwest um, learning about out-of-hospital birth and learning about all these other options, and there's so much interest here. So it's really fun to be 
um, to be here during that time. Were you expecting that because, you know, I mean, we have our biases. Most people think, oh, like, you know, if people talk about, you know, natural childbirth, having midwives, you know, they're going to think, well, of course in California, maybe like in <laughs> Eugene, Oregon, someplace like mm-hmm. that. When you, when you were coming here, did you expect the atmosphere and the environment to be like it is? Um, I, I knew I was going to get mixed opinions you know, but Mm -hmm. I have a pretty good sense of humor and I'm fine with that. You know, there was a time, (laughs) the way I was raised was not with natural childbirth of any kind. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you had asked me when I was 20 years old, I wouldn't have known what any of this stuff was. And so it's, it's cool to meet people in the Midwest who don't know anything about doulas or midwives Mm -hmm. and to get to talk about that. And a lot of what I see here is people who had a friend of a friend who had a home birth and they want to know more. So, you know, it's fun. You get both. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you do much education out in the community about, you know, going to different community spots, talking to people about it, you know, just educating them on what being, a, you know, using these services as an alternative or even things that you can do ahead of time to have a healthy birth? Yeah, yeah, we're trying to do more of that. You know, we try to table at different events, family events and things like that, um, get ourselves out there with the, you know, city council meetings and all those kinds of things. Um, There's a lot of great midwives in Michigan that do a lot of activism in that way. And slowly but surely, I think it's becoming more well-known. Yeah, people say, you know, and I've talked to people and they said, like, you know, they don't want to talk about sex education. People don't want to talk about sex, you know. Um, (laughs) And I mean, they don't want to talk about sex education. They don't want to talk about sex. They certainly don't want to talk about, you know, when they look at the LGBTQ community, part of where people say, well, I don't want to talk about that because it has to do with their sex lives. Well, you know, part of the end game in your sex life often is having you know, babies. Do you find that that pushback, you know, like when you start to talk about, because really, like you're talking about how to conceive, which sort of goes back into sex. What is that conversation like? I mean, do you find that, can you go into churches, um, certain affiliated organizations that have like, do you feel that pushback with them? Like, oh, well, you know. Yeah, I think it is. want to talk about that. I, I think I do see that to some extent, especially certain groups I've worked with. Um, and, I, and my perspective is that uh, people are going to have sex at some point, most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can say we're not going to talk about it at a certain point or in a certain class, but then when are we going to talk about it? You know, mm-hmm. if, we, if we in America had a, a sex ed class that everyone took when they were 21, would that make people happy? You know, when are we going to start talking about this information? But I think it's about normalizing things, um, whether it's birth or fertility or family planning or sex. It's just about it being a normal part of life and not something that you need to feel ashamed of. Because when you feel ashamed about something, you don't ask questions, you don't get the health care you need, you know. And uh, I think it's funny, it's interesting too, because there's a huge support for out-of-hospital birth from um, very, you know, left alternative, kind of the more crunchy granola, hippie families, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, to that extreme. And a lot of those people are so supportive of home birth. But the mm-hmm. other half of people that are so supportive are people that are extremely conservative, um, you know, a lot of Christian groups and, um, you know, old school religious people, and they are also so supportive of home birth and out of hospital birth. So I find it really hopeful because I think both ends of the spectrum, they might not see that they're on the same team, but I see that they're having their babies in the same way. They're raising their kids in the same way. And that makes me, I think that bridges a gap a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I looked, one of the things that sort of came from, because like I said, I have friends who are lesbians, who've had, I have friends who have gay men who'd used a surrogate, I have trans friends, but when I went to look, I said, you know, all of a sudden it dawned on me, 
if there's somebody who's doing it for our community, and I found you. I found you, you know. But I know that if I walked into affirmations, if I walked into any of our organizations, first of all, I don't know if I would think to look for them to be offering that, but would they be offering that? Are our organizations, not only here in Michigan, but in other places, you know, just as part of not going to someplace special? I mean, are they... Are they looking at that? I mean, has Creating Change had a workshop on childbirth and Mm. finding a midwife for our community? Yeah, I think that is such a great question. And I think it's starting to happen. It's starting to happen. You know, if you look at like Philly Trans Health this year had some stuff about fertility and things like that. Um, It's starting to happen, but it needs to happen more. And I think we all know, we all believe that queer and trans people deserve to have families, you know. Mm -hmm. They deserve to have children, to have families, to have all of these other things that other people have. And, um, you know, and the greater community at large, the medical community at large, may or may not be supportive of us but we need to be supportive of ourselves and of each other and offering those things. So I think it is really cool. I'm starting to see more people put it out there. There is a lot of good stuff online about, you know, lactation or birthing as a trans person, but we need to have more. (laughs) We need to have Mm -hmm. more. And I think part of that is people just saying, hey, I want to provide care to queer families. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of people, maybe people want to do that, but they don't know how to say it or they don't put it in their materials or whatever it is, you know. And I think we all need to look at ourselves and be like, as a community, how are we being inclusive of families and pregnant people and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I'm going to give your name to, to certain places that have helped you. <laughs> because I, yeah, because I, absolutely. I mean, is, yeah, we would love I it. I mean, really, you know, because I mean, I had done a show once with a couple here who were having their second child. They had a surrogate. Um, No, they didn't. They had artificial insemination. And the person who she found who was her support system was someone who had been to the same doctor but now lived in California. And it was like, (laughs) you know, and she had questions. And she had questions. And it was like, like you talked about, that support, you know. Yeah. how important is that support? Now, we're going to take a yeah. second break here, and then I'm going to come back and get some of that, that important information from you about how people can connect with you. So we will be Great. right back. This Thanks is so collections much. By, sure. This is Collections by Michelle Brown. And if you're thinking about having a baby, I've got the guest for you. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Emily Stevenson, who is a certified professional midwife. I noticed, you know, in doing my research that you had done a GoFundMe uh, for the mothers in Haiti for birth, you know, how did that go? What I I saw that you reached your goal. How did that go? Yeah, it it went really well. You know, we're always looking for support. We have Um, an amazing team of Haitian midwives there, and people can go on their website and look at them. Mama Baby Haiti is what it's called. 
Um, and you can check them out online and you can donate there. Um, we're always looking to improve the birth center that we have there. Uh, this last year we were able to get solar panels on the birth center so they have lights at night. You know, mm. They're not doing birth mm -hmm. by flashlight, um, those kind of things mm -hmm. that are so important. We're trying to get ultrasounds there, things like that. So anyone that's interested um, can look that up. Also, if there's any healthcare providers out there that are listening, we love having people come visit us. Mm -hmm. How often do you, do you still get back to Haiti? I'm hoping to go this year. Um, the midwives mm -hmm. that I know that are on the board, they have someone that goes down from the board every three months. So there's a mm -hmm. nice rotation of midwives that goes there every year. I'm hoping to go in the fall. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really appreciate you talking about the mothers there and how despite all of the things that are going on and how their community and how they're supportive of it and they're having healthy babies. Because, you know, I mean, in our political climate, and you hear these, these negative things, but these are really strong and resilient people. And like you said, they have a community that supports them, which is something that we could learn from. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that is just like I can. So <laughs> we're going to do like to, to wrap things up. So if you are out, if you're thinking about having a baby, if you've just found out you're pregnant and you want to connect, what is the best way, you know, do you have a website? Is there a phone number? Yeah, our website is NineShortMonths.com, NineShortMonths.com, and there you can find information about me and about um, the other midwives and the services that we offer. Um, you can also connect to our Facebook page, Nine Short Months, and we post on there when we have tours. We have free open tours about every two weeks that you can come into the birth center, meet us, and have your questions answered. Um, and uh, you can also call me. The phone number is 714-401-7606, and we would love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And if someone is out there and they say, you know what, I think I might like to do this, and what would you say are, are the, the steps? What's the best way to, to learn about you know, to be sure that this is what you want to do. And then what education-wise should someone think about doing? Do they have to go for a four-year degree? Is this just a uh, two-year, I mean, for the certification? Yeah, so there are a couple different ways to do it. Um, I would look at uh, NARM, which is the North American Registry of Midwives. Their website, if you Google that, has a lot of really great information about the different pathways. There's some school programs that are two years, three years, four years, and there's other models as well if you already have a degree. Um, and I would say too that if you are a person of color or a queer or trans person especially, we really need more midwives. We need mm -hmm. so much more diversity in midwifery care. And there is a community of midwives that wants to help you specifically get this education and get this training. So reach out. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that is so important. And if you were going to say to someone, you know, whether you're thinking, you know, today, tomorrow, what are the best things that you can think long term? Because, you know, as far as like, if you were to tell someone this is a short list, like besides diet and no stress, what, what would you tell someone going into this that you need to be, to stay, that space you need to hold, stay in while you're going through this nine short months? Uh, I think that taking a good childbirth education class or being in some kind of educational group is so important just to learn about what birth is and what is normal because we've lost that a lot in our culture of what just normal pregnancy, normal birth looks like. So there's a lot of childbirth education classes, a lot of free classes out there. I would take one. Um, and I would also, you know, look at your team, look at whoever you're planning on having your baby with, um, and look at a parenting group. Connect. Mm -hmm. Connect with people. That would be my takeaway, you know. Mm -hmm. Your emotional and mental health is just as important as your physical health. So reach out and connect with other people. Now, do you have children? 
I don't. Nope. Just okay. me. <laughs> well, for, you know, and I know that you said that the person that you worked with, the woman you worked with before, she's having it. Who takes care of the midwife when she's the one who's pregnant? And have you done that? And how difficult a person, a client, I guess, or a patient are they? Yeah, yeah. well, I am... I'm giving care to my other partner. Um, I'm going to be there for her birth, so that's really fun and exciting. I, I can't wait. I think it's funny because uh, you're very educated and you kind of know all the things. You know what they're going to ask you. You know what you're going to talk about. So I have to stick to my list because even though she knows all the things, I still want to make sure to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also can be funny as a birth worker because uh, you've sort of seen it all. You can be a little, you kind of know the bad things and the good things. So everything Mm -hmm. that happens to you, you wonder like worst case scenario. You know, I think any medical provider is like that too, Mm -hmm. you know. But but I think we're really lucky because we get to see so many normal, beautiful births. So it gives you Mm -hmm. a lot of hope and a lot of reassurance too. Now, if someone doesn't think that they're ready to go that full, the full, distance, but they could see where they could be supportive in the role of a doula. Where do you get that training? Yeah, so there's a couple of big organizations that provide doula training. Usually you go to a few seminars for a few days, and then you do a couple of births um, as a student and and check them out. So the doula training is less extensive, obviously, but um, you can look up Dona, D-O-N-A. They are an organization that provides really great um, doula training. Um, And, you know, look in your area, too. I encourage people to reach out to their community, to find the doulas in their community, to ask them questions and ask them how they got started. I see such a surge in people wanting to use doulas in the hospital Mm -hmm. and out of the hospital. So we need more doulas, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think that's great, you know, I mean, there's a role for them. And I could see where that can be like, sometimes when you have your partner can get like a little anxious, but to have someone <laughs> that come in and, and their job is to keep you. Yes. Cool. So, I mean, that, I mean, yes. that, that's so great. Well, Emily, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I am certainly, I know a couple of LGBTQ organizations that have health fairs and uh, area, and I'm going to tell them they need to think about contacting you because I think it would be so great. I mean, we're having one of the, the reasons that many people run it so hard to have that validation of marriage and that validation and recognition of our relationships is because we want to continue and have families. And Absolutely. So, you know, so we want healthy babies, you know, that's, like anybody else, you know, we want to have healthy pregnancies like anybody else. And yes, we are outside of a heteronormative world view, but it doesn't mean that our needs, our care, our love for our babies, our love for ourselves to want to be healthy is any less. So I want to thank you for being there. I want to thank you for having that little thing when I went and looked for midwives that you said that you did for the, you know, queer. Thank you for for doing that because, you know, a lot of people might do it, but to put that out there, thank you for that. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Okay. Well, um, again, um, I've got your information. I will be putting up uh, some information about your Facebook page and how people can contact you. And I'm sure that we will see each other and be talking again in the future, Emily. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, you have a great afternoon. You too. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm going to be posting information about Emily Stevenson, about uh, midwives for you on our page and I'm going to try to lure her in and get her get her at some of our health fairs. Um, if you've missed, if you want to re-listen to this or any of the past episodes, you can always find Collections by Michelle Brown on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, 
or SoundCloud. We'll be back next week with another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.